Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of The Refined Collective Podcast. It's me, Kat, and today, You're just going to get to listen to me for however long I feel like talking. So buckle up. All right. I'm so excited to bring to you another solo show. And I'm just going to pretend that you and I are hanging out at my house, having some chips and guac and maybe some margaritas and talking about life, love and other mysteries. All right. Real talk. People ask me, all the time about sex. And I've sort of made it this way because I now publicly talk about how I am single, how I am a Christian, how I am waiting until marriage to have sex. I've talked about that a lot. So yeah, it's no wonder that I get asked about sex a lot. I specifically get asked from so many of you, how and when do I bring up a conversation in a dating context as to where I stand on my physical boundaries? AKA, when do I tell the guy I'm dating that I'm not having sex. All right. So I haven't answered this publicly from the podcast format because I do feel like it is a nuanced conversation. And I think especially as women, we want the formula, like we want to do it right. So we're like, okay, give us the 10 steps and I'm going to do this. Give me the script so I can regurgitate the script to the person that 
I am dating and that's not what I want to do. I also never want to assume that every single person that listens to my podcast or interacts with my content is on the same page as me spiritually or as far as physical boundaries go. So I've honestly kept this specific content inside my course, Activate Your Dating Life, that I launched two times a year, just because I expanded it and wanted to make it more of a conversation and journaling prompts and really this process. However, I feel like it's about time to have this conversation in light of this past week's episode of The Bachelor. Yes, you guys, The Bachelor has inspired now at least three episodes of the podcast. Now, don't judge me. I know a lot of you might be thinking, Kat, why are we still talking about The Bachelor? Oh my gosh, trashy reality TV. It's not empowering to women. Listen, I know, I get it. I know there's a million reasons why not to watch The Bachelor, but I do. Will you please love me through it? And if you are watching it, oh my gosh, this season has been crazy. Um, A lot of things coming up, a lot of drama, which makes me again want to campaign for a mid to late 30s single man and woman on The Bachelor who are like, know who they are, know what they want, no drama, just be like, yeah, like here's where I'm at, here's what I'm looking for. But alas, Bachelor Nation is not there yet. We are still having 25-year-old bachelors with 21-year-old girls, so there's a lot of drama. So if you are not caught up on The Bachelor, here's what happened this past week. This past week was hometowns. So hometown visits are right before the fantasy suite episode, which is where, you know, people have sleepovers, the cameras are gone. A lot of times people are having sex in those fantasy suites. Sometimes they don't. It's just uh, an extended period of time where there are no cameras. And then after that, then it's the final episode and the bachelor or bachelorette chooses their person who they want to be engaged to and spend the rest of their life with. Now, there is a girl, Madison, on The Bachelor who is a precious head. She is, I think, 22 or 23. She's a Christian and her faith is super important to her. And it just came out that she is waiting until marriage to have sex. However, she has not communicated that with Peter, The Bachelor. Now, Peter was on Hannah B's season, which was last season, which I did a whole episode on sex (laughs) from Hannah B's season with the whole Luke Pell thing. But Peter, kind of his shtick, which I think is unfortunate because he didn't get to choose this because Hannah shared this information without okaying it with him, but he became known as the guy that had sex on the fantasy suite night four times. And this is not a secret. It's like everyone knows it. It's been talked about. Peter has been very open with how sexual he is and how much uh, sex and physical intimacy is important in a dating relationship. Yet here we are, two weeks away from engagements, one week away from fantasy suite time, and they have not had a conversation about physical boundaries, and she has not shared her truth with him. And I was watching this, and I was like, man, I'm super bummed on her that she hasn't had this conversation. However, I was also thinking when I was 22, 23 years old, I was super afraid to be having this conversation with guys 
I was interested in and dating. And let me be further honest. Also, when I was 22 and 23, like I wasn't dating at all. Okay. Like I think I went like six or seven years without dating at all. So go you, Maddie. You're way ahead of me when I was 22 because I had like no guy in sight. But I think what is unfolding with Madison and Peter is such a common thing in dating. Um, when do I tell the person I'm dating that I'm that I am or am not having sex until marriage? How do I bring that up? Why do I bring that up? Why am I not bringing it up? Why is Madison not bringing it up? And I just started thinking for myself. Why for a long time was I afraid to really have this conversation? And I think a few things would come up for me. Number one was the fear of rejection. I mean, I just felt like so afraid that if I really shared who I really was, what I really believed, that I would be rejected, even though I can like zoom out and be like, well, if someone doesn't respect that boundary for me, then they're not the person for me. I think I already felt so insecure about who I was, about everything from my body image to what I was doing in my life that another rejection just felt really painful. So I would often like keep this part of me hidden until I was in like really sticky situations physically, whether it was like in the heat of the moment where it was like, uh, wait, I don't have sex. Ah, (laughs) and totally blindside the person that I was with. But I think fear of rejection really was a driving force for me not to share where I was really at with physical boundaries. Secondly, you know, I grew up in Southern Christian culture. I grew up in what I call the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up in a home that valued abstinence until marriage. And I've asked my mom about this recently. I was like, why did you tell us or teach us to not have sex until marriage? And she was like, you know, that's honestly, like, that's just what my mom told me. It was just the appropriate thing to do. Like, quote unquote, good girls didn't have sex before marriage. So that was sort of the ethos that I grew up in my home. And then when I became a Christian in the middle of purity movement in the early 2000s, I was 16 years old. When I heard that Christians didn't have sex, it just was something that was easy for me to accept. Besides the fact that I grew up in Texas where I think I have, well, I've been a bridesmaid 17 times, so simmer on that. But I want to say almost half of those times of me being a bridesmaid was before I was 22 years old. So I was 16 at the time I became a Christian was like, you know, not having sex for the next few years really isn't that big of a deal because I'll probably get married in college, get my MRS degree and start popping out babies by the time I was 21. So I had this assumption that if you were a Christian, you weren't having sex. I just thought this is the MO. This is what everyone does. Now, of course, all of that changed when I moved to New York City seven years ago and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I think I'm the only person I know, Christian or not Christian, not having sex. 
which then led me down a wonderful path, which is why I am now talking and teaching about this so much is because I realized I had a lot of assumptions and I had a lot of rules, but I didn't have a lot of vision. All right, so another reason why I avoided bringing up the topic of sex in my dating relationships is because I was shut down to my sexuality and desire. And that was for a lot of reasons. One, I'm not going to blame all of it on purity culture and church culture. Yes, the church has done a lot of damage in regards to sexual narrative and sexual ethic. The purity movement, I mean, I feel like, yes, there was a lot of damage done because of that. And I am a product of that. I received messages like my sexuality is a switch that gets turned on magically when I get married one day. I also had this other message that as a woman, it was my job and my duty to protect my quote unquote brothers from stumbling sexually. So I felt that my very girlness, my very femininity, my very womanness was scary, dangerous. And so I learned to hide my body, hide my desire, and I judged my desire. And on top of that, I was very insecure about my body. And for most of most all of my college career and for a few years after college, I struggled with an eating disorder. And that took on many different shapes and forms, but I was so insecure in my body. I hated my body. I resented my body. I felt like I was single because I wasn't this like perfect size two. And so, so many things combined to create honestly, this like asexual person. And what I finally realize now is if I can't accept my own sexuality and desire, how can I accept the sexuality and desire of another person or my partner, future husband? And on top of that, how can I enter into an adult consensual romantic relationship if I am unwilling to talk about this stuff. So when something feels like in the dark and shameful, like we stuff it, we repress it. It's not that it, it doesn't go anywhere. Like it's still there. We just then put it in a pressure cooker. But I felt so unequipped to talk about this stuff because just even the idea of sex, desire, and sexuality as a Christian woman that was single felt so scary and shameful. So I think shame was also a part of the puzzle for me. And then lastly, I avoided this conversation because I didn't really know my why. I was so afraid of bringing it up because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get asked these questions. And really the only reason I know I'm not having sex is because uh, Christians don't have sex. Like, and I always think it's funny personally, because I was a Bible major in college. That might be news to a lot of you. Um, But yes, I was a Bible major in college and I could not tell you one Bible verse in the Bible that actually said to abstain from premarital sex. I just, it wasn't anything that we covered in Bible school. And so really the only narrative I had from the church was that Christians don't have sex until marriage. So like, here's the reality. 
Knowledge without experience is not transformational. Knowledge alone might give you a little bit of jet fuel, but it's not going to sustain lasting conviction, lasting compassion. And experience alone is the same. So if I just have this incredible experience, but I have no knowledge or truth undergirding that, then we just have like jet fuel that is gonna lead to burnout. So I realized from myself through my own journey of being in New York where I realized, oh my gosh, my Christian friends are having sex, sleeping together, having casual sex, hookups, living with their significant others that I needed to figure out my own why because rules alone aren't enough to keep my clothes on now that I am in my 30s. All right, single ladies, let's talk about online dating. Real talk though, like are you over it? Have you swiped right, swiped left, and are like, listen, Kat, it just hasn't worked for me. I can never get guys in real life or never find guys that are actually legit and not just looking for casual. Or maybe you're like, I've tried online and it just ends up being this pen pal situation that never manifests into an actual date. Or maybe you're like, I would honestly just rather meet a person in real life. I just wanna say I have felt all the feels and more and I want to support you in this process because here's the reality is 40% of couples today meet online. So it ain't going anywhere. Online is here to stay. So I got together with my friend Kate Warman, relationship coach and podcast host from Heart of Dating Podcast. And we created a brand new workshop, Online Dating 101, how to actively and successfully online date as a Christian woman one time only February 25th from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are unpacking all of the questions. We're addressing all the frustrations and we are equipping you with a renewed mindset and also giving you tools to actively really, really get out there and make the most of online dating. So check out our live workshop one night only February 25th, 8 to 10 p.m. from the comfort of your own home. So put on your yoga pants, Grab your favorite beverage of choice and your girlfriends and sign up for our online dating 101 workshop. You can go to bit.ly slash TRW online dating 101. Again, that's bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash TRW online dating 101. Let's get you signed up and equipped and empowered to navigate the dating scene. So a little recap, the reasons why I avoided bringing up conversations around why I was not having sex until marriage with the person I was dating were because number one, I was afraid of rejection. Number two, I assumed that if you were a Christian, you weren't having sex. Number three, I was shut down to my sexuality and desire. And number four, I didn't really know my why, so I couldn't really explain it. Now, I ask you as a single person, or maybe you're in a relationship, maybe you're even married, what was that conversation like for you? Why do you or do you not like bringing it up? Why do you feel unequipped to bringing it up? Where is their fear 
in that narrative for you. Because something I know for 100% certainty is that God did not create us for a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's 1 Timothy 1.7. So go back to the core of your decision. Is it based out of fear? That is not God's heart for you. That may be a sign that it's time to do some digging and time to do some like real work as to figuring out what's going on with me around the the narrative around sex? Um, How do I feel about my desire? How do I feel about my sexuality? Where is shame in the picture? Because the agenda of shame is to keep you small, hidden, stuck, isolated, compartmentalized. And God has so much more for you than that. All right, moving on. Three things to talk about when going towards the sex conversation. You will leave this episode knowing exactly what I say to the person that I'm on a date with about my idea and theology around sex. I will. You will also know when I share that information and why, but we first have a little bit more groundwork to do. So I want to share with you three things to think about when you're walking towards that conversation around sex and dating. Number one, as I just shared, I was afraid to have the conversation because I didn't know my why. Number one, the most important thing to know is your why. Know your why. There's a really big difference between these two statements. I'm not a smoker and I'm trying to quit smoking. So let's imagine that you have been a cigarette smoker for years. And finally, you're like, oh my gosh, this is super bad for me. Like, I'm going to die. I don't want to get cancer. I'm going to quit smoking. And you're really trying to quit smoking. It's a process. You're addicted to it. Obviously, it's hard. And you're out and about, and someone offers you a cigarette. And you can have a couple different responses. One of them is, oh, no, man, like, I'm really trying to quit smoking right now. Like, oh, I wish I could, but no, I'm trying to quit. Another response you can say is, ah, no thanks. I'm actually not a smoker. Now, the stance, the position is the same. The position is I'm not smoking, but the posture is completely different. When when we have that first posture of, you know, I'm like trying to quit, like it's really hard, like I really wish I could. Really what you're saying is I'm a victim to this decision that I'm making that I actually don't really want to make, but I feel like I should make because, you know, it's bad for me, whatever, yada, 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 yada. Versus going to the core from the inside out, being really internally motivated from a place of freedom and wholeness and saying, actually, I'm not a smoker. The conversation just sort of stops there. There is a real difference when we are talking about this narrative around premarital sex and abstinence and coming from a place of, hey, like, I don't, I, I don't have sex. Cause I, you know, I really don't, I don't think I'm supposed to, or Christians shouldn't have sex before marriage. Like that's not really dealing with your heart's desire. And actually it's making you a victim to a belief system, a victim to religion, as opposed to on board from a place of freedom of actually like, I believe so much in this like compelling vision on sex and intimacy and relationship that, that Jesus has like burst forth in the scriptures that like, yeah, like I actually just don't have sex before marriage. There's a very, very different posture. So my question to you is what is your why? Because the reality is if our decision is not internally motivated, it's not going to be a long lasting decision for like, 
if someone is like, hey, you need a you need to run a marathon. And I'm like, oh, I should run that marathon. I've always wanted a marathon, but like I, I should do this because this is what this other person wants me to do. It might get me like a few weeks into training, but when I get to practicing those 20 mile runs, 22 mile runs, getting up at 5 a.m., not eating the food I want to eat to set me up for the race, if I do not have internal motivation, I'm not going to make it to the finish line. And so I know for me personally, I lived for most of my single celibate life as a victim to Christianity, as a victim to, oh, this is just a rule I had. And it worked for me for so long until it didn't work for me. It worked for me until I actually fell in love with someone that I was completely physically and sexually attracted to and cared deeply about. And in the heat of the moment, because this is what I should do, wasn't compelling enough for me. So questions that I want to encourage you to ask yourself is, why or why not are you abstaining from premarital sex? Why? What do you think is God's heart for intimacy and sex? What is your heart for intimacy and sex? What is it that you really want and long for? And what does sex mean to you? Like, is sex just the actual like penetration? Is it more than that? Why does this matter to you? Why or why not is this a value for you? Start really thinking about these questions. Honestly, press pause, rewind this, write these questions down and really start thinking about it. Be willing to do the work of self-examination. Some really great resources on this topic of navigating your why are number one, you, if you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I love Dr. Celeste Holbrook. She is a Christian sexologist based out of Fort Worth, Texas, and she helps people navigate a lot of like purity culture and shame around sexual ethics, but also really equips single and married people to navigate what they think about this stuff and how to come from a place of wholeness. So she even offers 30-minute free intake calls. And I took one from her. And like the first question she asked me was, what does celibacy mean to you? And I was like, uh, 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 well, it means abstinence. She's like, what does that mean to you? And so I would really, really encourage you if you're trying to navigate this conversation to go to Dr. Celeste Holbrook's website, read her content and sign yourself up for a free 30 minute call, like for real. Number two, a great resource um, as a Bible-believing, Jesus-following woman, the Bible is a great resource for this. Now, I told you I was a Bible major and still could not tell you where exactly in the Bible it said to not have sex. It actually says it in the Old Testament and at least 24 times in the New Testament. So you can just Google flee from sexual immorality in the Bible or like, Um, sex in the Bible and things will come up. But one of the most helpful things for me was to really unpack what does this phrase flee from sexual immorality mean? Now notice in scripture, when scripture refers to temptation and like sin, and I know sin can feel like a really triggering word. So my definition of sin is the decisions I make that separate me from God, myself, and others. So what are those decisions that I make that separate me? 
from God? When do I feel separate from others, from my choices? When do I feel separate from myself? When do I feel separated from my calling, from my vision? So in all other sin, it's like, don't do this, don't do this, avoid this. When it comes to quote unquote sexual immorality in the Bible, it says flee. It's basically like run as far as you can from this thing. And that is interesting to me. Like why is there something unique and special about our bodies and our and our sexual selves? And what does sexual immorality actually mean, right? So actually sexual immorality, that word in the Greek means porneia. And that's where we obviously get words like pornography. And what it's, the direct translation is actually to flee from sexual activity with anyone that is not your spouse. So it's, it's invitation is to run as far as possible from uh, premarital and extramarital activity. So notice it's, it doesn't just say like flee from penetrative sex. It says flee from sexual activity with someone that is not your spouse. Now I know that that opens a whole other list of questions like, well, then how far can I go? Just you wait. I will do another podcast episode on that. But at the very least, really start searching the scriptures. Uh, you can at, at least Google flee from sexual immorality and the Bible go and start reading the verses in the Bible that talk about that. I also have some great resources on my website. If you go to the refinedwoman.com and click on the sexless in the city tag, you will be able to read a ton of content that I've created on this topic. And specifically, if you want to hear my journey of why I'm not having sex until marriage, you can go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dash sex. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. And last, another resource is I recently was on the God is Gray podcast and YouTube channel. And uh, Brenda is uh, sex positive. And we actually are out of alignment in a lot of areas. However, we had a really sweet and beautiful conversation about why I am choosing to abstain from sex until marriage. And I just, I loved the nuance of it. So that is another great resource for you. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dash God dash is dash gray. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes, to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. 
So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refine Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refine Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refine Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. All right. Why am I giving you all these freaking resources? Because y'all, I'm the type of person that I'm like, yes, let's talk theory. Let's talk all these, you know, topics and themes, but I need something to hang my hat on. And I am just so committed to actually giving you things that you can take and apply and implement into your life. All right. So number one of the three things to think about when going towards that conversation of premarital sex in your dating relationship is to know your why. Number two, assume nothing. I mean, this is a concept that I try to live in my life in general in all of my relationships. I think assumption is the beginning of breakdown because when we're assuming something, we have bypassed relationship and we have bypassed connection and made a decision for someone else or ourselves. So let's take assumption off the table and commit to having conversations. Just because someone shares your faith and values does not mean they have your same physical boundaries. I know people who are Christians that are literally waiting until their wedding day to have their very first kiss. And that is not my story. It hasn't been my story. It's not my where I'm where I feel is my conviction. I also have friends that go all the way to the point of everything goes except penetration, including anal sex. So the reality is there are people who love God and are Christians and are pursuing Jesus that have different physical boundaries. There are even Christians who choose to have premarital sex. Um, Brenda, the girl from God is Gray, is a perfect example of that. So I would just say, like, do not assume that someone believes the same thing as you. Because I think one of the things that can happen when we do that is we flatten another person. We flatten them, we make them one-dimensional, and we we see what we want to see out of them for our own benefit. And I just think, I've been in many situations with guys where they have found my podcast or they have found my Instagram or my blog and they've read a couple things about me. And it's like, they've kind of assumed that they know who I am. They know what I'm about. And by the way, I'm not lying about anything I put online, but it is just one aspect of who I am. And it feels really crappy to be getting to know someone and get to a place where I'm like, oh, they're not actually trying to get to know me because they've already assumed that they think they know me. So for example, I was recently on a date with a guy and he asked me a question and then he goes, oh wait, no, no, no. Like I I think I already know you, so I'm gonna answer it for you. He literally answered, like the question was along the line of like, what do you think your calling is? What do you think your talents are? And homeboy doesn't even know me, but he assumed he knew me. So I think when we take assumption off the table, it allows us to come from a place of humility and walking into situations with our eyes wide open. So 
Number two, assume nothing. Be willing to have a conversation on this stuff. And number three, there is zero shame. Like what I have come to learn in the last few years, and this is not an exaggeration, literally thousands upon thousands of women from all over the world have emailed me. I have coached hundreds and hundreds of women that are Christians navigating singleness and sexuality. And here's what I know for sure. No matter what you have done, where you have been, shame tries to enter the picture. So if you are the person that's like, Kat, I haven't gone on a date ever and I'm 45. I feel so ashamed of that. Or you're like, I had sex this morning for the 10th time with someone that is, and that's married. I'm having an affair. Wherever you are on the spectrum, it's like, there seems to be shame. And I know I, at times, have felt shame of my past. I have even felt shame for things that I believe or don't believe. And here's the reality, is you have nothing to be ashamed of ever. Like, we are humans all trying to do our best. And the reality is that, like, Jesus came to restore humans, okay? So no one but yourself is expecting perfection from you, all right? Um And here's another thing I want to say is if you are choosing to abstain from sex until marriage, that is not shameful at all. And if you go on a date and a guy is like, check, please, he is not your person. Like you don't want to keep dating that person because they are out of a, out of alignment and something that really, really matters to you. So for example, I was on a date recently. I've had some (laughs) winning dates recently and literally an hour into dinner, the guy goes, so when was the last time you got banged? And I'm like, I, first of all, cannot believe that this guy just asked me that on the date. And it also made it really easy to say, actually, I haven't banged recently because I am choosing to abstain from sex until marriage, which then the crickets entered. (laughs) I was like, cricket, 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 check, please. Y'all, I have been rejected very very many times. I don't know if that's grammatically correct for abstaining from sex before marriage. And the reality, yeah, sometimes I feel rejected. I I can feel small in those moments, but I am so grateful for it coming to light because I, I don't want someone that just puts up with my beliefs. I want someone who is on board and willing to fight for me and I'm willing to fight for them. So yeah, it may make my dating pool smaller, but I do believe it makes my dating pool stronger. So yeah, it might mean that I'm not going out on dates with a thousand guys, or it might mean that I have a lot of first and second dates and don't get really much further than that. But I do know that it's going to rise the cream to the top. All right. So you have nothing to be ashamed of. All right. So like I just mentioned, I was on a date recently and I had the conversation with the guy I was on a date with on date one within the first hour because he actually brought it up and was curious about it. But when is a good time to actually bring up the conversation around your physical boundaries, around if you aren't having sex until marriage. So my rule is by date three, I have had a conversation with this person of where I stand on this. Now, here's the reality. At this point in my life, I have an easy out. And I know that because I talk about this stuff professionally. I'm currently writing a book for Christian people around sex and sexuality and desire. So it's easy when people are like, oh, like, 
What are some of the things you do for your life? What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm actually writing a book right now. What's this book about? So it's easy for me to naturally and organically step into a conversation where I I am able to talk about, oh, I'm actually not having sex until marriage and I'm writing about it, la-di-da. However, I will say that even before I was doing this stuff professionally, I got to a place once I knew my why and knowing your why, like silences shame. Okay. And so I just got to a point where I, okay, let me just strengthen this muscle. Let me figure out what I want to say and how I want to say it. And then let me practice saying it. So now it's over the years just become super easy. It's just like a non-issue, non-dramatic conversation that I have with guys that literally takes like two minutes. So here's what I say. Hey, I just want to be up front. Um, I don't have sex until marriage and that's a deal breaker for me. And I know it can be a deal breaker on the other side of things. So I just wanted to throw that out there and let you know where I was at and see what you think about that. Another thing I say is, hey, just want to be up front. Um, I don't have sex until marriage. And that's not like a cute thing I say. Like, I really mean it. It's something that's super important to me because of my faith. I'm happy to share more about my why behind that. But I really just wanted to throw that out there and see where you're at. So I'll, I usually do this in person on a date. Um, I do this by date three but I'll be real honest, it typically comes up on the first date. And I don't know if that's more so because NYC dating culture moves along pretty quickly and the physical is on the table pretty quickly. So I just bring it up really, really as soon as possible, but 100% by date three and 100% by the time um, the physical is has entered into the relationship. So if you're like, you know, I'm in a place where like, you know, dating moves a little bit slower. You know, I would say if you're getting to know a person and you're like, I'm starting to like this person, I want to kiss them or we have kissed, then have that conversation. All right. So you might be thinking, whoa, that's like really soon. Like, <laughs> like on the first date, are you kidding me? All right. Here is why I think it's important to have this conversation early. Number one, it sets you up for success. If you're not having sex before marriage, it's a great way to help you set up physical boundaries early on in the dating relationship, as opposed to like getting in a place physically when you're dating and like being like, ah, actually it's the heat of the moment. And ah, it's so much harder in the heat of the moment to have a real conversation as opposed to like, you know, before clothes are coming off, before the nakedness happens, before the desire for that happens, just to have a real conversation. Um, Because for me, what I did for a long time was I did everything but sex. And I would often be getting naked or close to naked within the first two dates or the first three dates, which let me tell you what, if you are waiting until marriage to have sex and you're getting naked on the first date, it's not really setting you up for success to get to that finish line well. Um, So I really, once I really navigated my why, I realized, wow, that's really not setting me up for success. And so I want to like, I want to elongate the process of, of getting to know someone without adding the physical into there. And I want to 
really honor that. Like, this is a really big value for me. And I, so now like holding hands is like a really big deal to me. Kissing is a really big deal to me. And so I want to set myself up for as much success to honor the commitment that I've made. So bringing it up early on helps you do that. Number two, why to have this conversation early? I think it's a really great way to be kind, not only for yourself, but for the person you're dating. So kind of back to the whole like Maddie and Peter on the bachelorette scenario is if she knows deep down, uh, well, I know that like my boundary is X, so I'm not having sex. Then like she knows that she's in a relationship where she's sort of like getting what she wants physically from it. Whereas if the other person i.e. Peter, is in a different place of, you know, I do have sex before marriage. Sex is really important to me before marriage. And we haven't done that yet, but the assumption is we're going towards that. Then I just don't think that's a kind posture. Now, it's a posture that I have participated in in the past multiple times. And it was like, well, I'm getting what I want. But in a sense, it's like, there's like a sense of dishonesty in it and not forthrightness and not owning here's where I'm at because ultimately as it is a deal breaker for me not to have sex before marriage, it can, it's a deal breaker for people on the other side of that. And so I think let's, create a culture of honesty and communication and kindness in our dating relationships. Because if it's just like, oh, well, all I care about is me and getting mine, then yeah, don't have a conversation, like get yours and like have fun makeouts, but you're actually like leading that other person on. Um, So be kind to the person that you're dating. And finally, the only way a relationship can truly last is when trust is built. And trust is built through communication and honesty. As a couple, you get to decide what boundaries will work for you. It's an ongoing conversation. Like a boundary might've worked for you in the past and not work for you anymore. And so be willing to have those conversations early on um, to set your set a pace of honesty in a relationship and to set the pace of talking about sex and desire is not gross or dirty or shameful. And actually, if I want the type of relationship that I really want to have, one with honesty, integrity, character, forthrightness, then, then I get to create that from the early days in the relationship. There you have it, friend. These are all my thoughts. I mean, I have a lot more, but this was going to be like a 15 minute, like mini episode. And I think I've been talking for almost an hour now. So hopefully this has been encouraging, equipping, practical. And also listen, I am not here to throw anyone under the bus. I'm not here to throw Peter under the bus, Madison under the bus, on The Bachelor. Um, I just, I felt like, man, this is like a really like, honest picture of like what happens in so many dating dynamics in the Christian world. And I can only see Madison's internal struggle because I struggled with the same things in my dating relationships. So I, and I think so many of you do too. And I know you do because I get so many freaking questions about when do I tell the guy I'm dating that I'm not having sex. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. Um, Join the conversation over on Instagram. Let's talk more about this. If you have any questions, DM me what they are at The Refined Woman and I'm happy to keep chatting with you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. 
If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.